Amen. Amen. I am so thankful tonight. This is something I've been planning uh, since way back in the spring. I preached for Brother Adams on the Sunday night of Pentecost Sunday, and uh, I've been wanting to have him come, but I, I knew in my mind that summer, that, that I didn't want to do it in summer, and uh, I wanted to get Labor Day behind us, and, and I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this day now for months. Caleb Adams is a great preacher. You're going to find that out in just a moment. I don't have to tell you that because you're going, to, you're going to learn that in just a few moments. But he is such a dear friend to me. He is a great man of God, and he is a great leader in our ranks in the Pentecostal movement. He's got a fantastic, growing apostolic church that's on fire up in the Cordova, Tennessee area and uh, being used of God in a mighty way. He and I met, got to be friends on the other side of the world. And we had to go to, to Beirut to find out that we had a friend just about an hour away. And I'm glad that God sent us on that trip together. I want you, if you will, put your hands together and welcome great preacher for the Caleb Adams. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, put your hands together. Let's give it to Jesus. He is worthy of all of our praise. I'd like to salute the shepherd of this house. Thank you, Pastor Vasquez, for this opportunity. Man, what a, what a wonderful service we're having tonight. It is so good to be here in Potts Camp with all of the good people of God. And I have uh, been hearing about this church for many years. I've pastored in uh, Memphis for over 16 years. And from day one, I heard about Potts Camp. I had no idea where it was. I didn't know what it was. But I heard about you people. I heard about this wonderful church and under the leadership of Bishop Wilson. And, and, uh, and then I started hearing about Pastor Vasquez. I did not know Pastor Vasquez. And, uh, earlier this year, as he mentioned, we made a trip over to Beirut, Lebanon, and a missions trip. And he was there speaking at that trip, and we became fast friends. I told my wife one evening that week, I said, I believe I've met my new best friend. And over the last several months, we have been able to build a wonderful friendship, and I love he and his wife and family and their passion for the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say this. I know Pastor Vasquez travels quite a bit preaching around the world. He is very, very heavily involved in missions, and he helps other churches. He comes and preaches other places, but when he's preaching in other places, that means he's not here. And that means this church has got to be willing to give and share. But let me just say, there's the only thing worse than having a pastor that everybody wants to hear is having one that no one wants to hear. But I, trust me, this church, by the fact that you afford him that opportunity to go out, you guys are impacting so many people beyond the borders of this sanctuary. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you for sharing the pastor and his family with the rest of us. Good to see brother and sister Holder tonight. Love you guys. Love your family. Good people. Amen. Well, you ready to hear the word of the Lord? 
I come with a word tonight, something that I preach at home, I preach everywhere. I'm going to preach to you things that I believe from experience. These are not theories to me, but these are scriptures and they are reality. We're going to go to the book of Psalms, and we're going to read Psalm 8. Read Psalm 8. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow on the screen. But I'm going to start reading the Psalm by reading the little fine print right above the Psalm. Many Bibles have what is called a superscription, and usually it's one or two sentences that will tell you something about why the psalm was written or who wrote it or something about the occasion of the psalm. A lot of times these superscriptions are a bit cryptic. They use words that originate in the Hebrew and are a little hard to understand, don't mean a lot to us. But when you delve into them, there's meanings in the superscription. And so before we read... Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read that one phrase that's in fine print above verse 1. The superscription reads, to the chief musician upon Gittith. Go and say Gittith. A psalm of David. So this superscription lets us know that David wrote the psalm. And he was writing it to the music director in the town or the region of Gittith. The word Gittith is another word for a town that we may be familiar with in the Bible, and that's the town of Gath, the hometown of Goliath, the giant that David killed. So in the hometown of the big giant of Gath, Gittith, there was a music director. And David said, I'm going to write a psalm, and we're going to sing this psalm in the town of Gath. Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Don't you love it when the devil gets told to shut up? I'm going to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. You were made for dominion. 
And God made you to have all things under your feet. Now, I know you're standing, but we're going to read one more short verse from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. The writer of Hebrews chose to quote the psalm that we just read when he was writing about Christ, writing about the ministry of the church. And this is what the writer of Hebrews said. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Talking about the feet of Jesus. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him preach for a little bit about dominion potential. Dominion potential. Can you receive God's word with an amen? Bless you. You can be seated. So the psalmist, David, wants to celebrate the conquest over the Goliath. He walks away from that bloody battlefield. He's just lopped off the head of that giant, the foe of God's people with the sword. And in a grisly display of bravado, he lifts up that head by the hair and the blood's dripping from the severed spinal column. It's gory. But here is this young 17-year-old red-headed shepherd. He has prevailed over the giant from Gath. And sometime later, I don't know when it was, maybe it was that evening when David retreated into his tent. Maybe it was in weeks to follow. But he got to reminiscing over how he as a young, insignificant shepherd boy had been anointed and used by God to conquer this giant over 10 foot tall. And as he is contemplating that, David feels that familiar anointing that he felt back in the pastures. And some words of a little song start coming to him. A spirit of prophecy got all over him. And he pulls out a parchment and a quill. And he starts writing the words of Psalm 8. And he dedicates it to the music director in Gath. And he is declaring the majesty of God. And the fact that God has used babes and sucklings to demonstrate his strength. God takes what is insignificant and does things that are significant. And as he is reminiscing over man that is touched by God, he said, you made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet. Now, David was writing this psalm to celebrate the conquest of Goliath. 
But in a way that he did not fully appreciate, the spirit of prophecy overlaid his hand and the prophetic anointing got on that quill and parchment. And while David wrote the words, the immediate object was a shepherd boy killing a Goliath. Prophecy got involved and the psalm took on a meaning that extended far beyond the field of Elah where he conquered the Goliath. And it spoke to the greater son of David that would one day come, Jesus Christ. And just like David killed the Goliath, the son of David came to fight a giant, and that was the giant Satan and the giant of sin. And just like this little boy went and conquered that big giant, Jesus the man went to the cross and at the cross in one fell swoop, he conquered sin, Satan, and death. And he prevailed. When the New Testament writer of Hebrews talks about the psalm and the ministry of Jesus, he keys in on this theme of dominion. And he lets us know that Jesus has dominion. And you and I, as the body of Christ, we have dominion as well. It's been granted. And the psalmist emphasizes the fact that when God made man, he made him special. For those of you that want to equate monkeys and dogs and cats and pets to humans, your theology's wrong. Man's life is of infinite more value than Fido's life. God made man above the animals. He made him special. He didn't make animals to have dominion. He made you and me to have dominion over the works of his hands. So let's talk for a minute about this word dominion. It's one that we don't use very often unless we're talking about corrupt voting machines. And rigged elections. Long time before we ever heard of Dominion software, Dominion was a concept that was beautiful in the Bible. The word Dominion means to take a step. It means to tread down or to crumble off. The concept of Dominion could be applied to a farmer who goes out in a field that's overgrown. It's not been tilled before, and there's weeds, and there's brush. And when you go out there to take dominion over that field, you see that there's potential in the field. But before you can get the potential out of that soil, you got to chop the brush down. you got to bush hog the weeds. Then you got to get out there, and you've got to till it. And little by little, you break up the soil. And through the process of working that field one layer at a time and getting seed in the field then the seed comes up and the crops start fructifying then you're able to take dominion over that field it doesn't happen in a day but it can happen in a year so when the bible says that you and i are supposed to have dominion 
That means you should be on top of life. Instead of life riding you, you ride life. Instead of you being under the devil's thumb, you need to have the devil under your feet. The concept of dominion has the idea of spreading out. That's what this church is doing. It's spreading out. I love coming up this road here and driving up through the pastures and my, oh my, here's a building that's spreading out because there's a people in this room that have an idea of what it means to take dominion. We're not content to stay as we are because we know God has more for us. So there's this spirit of pushing walls out, taking new territory, building and expanding. That's the dominion mandate at work in Potts Camp. So God creates man and he gives him dominion. I want you to go with me for just a minute back to the Garden of Eden. Let's step into a clearing somewhere in the midst of the garden on the sixth day of creation and we watch the level soil and all of a sudden the soil starts to bulge as the invisible fingers of God push down. And all of a sudden it, it, the soil just buckles up and, and then we see the the, the soil start taking shape and here comes a torso and some arms and legs and a head and then God began to delicately touch him and the features of the face of the man and after just a few moments there formed from the soil lays the lifeless body of the first man, Adam. And after God formed him, he leans over the balcony of heaven. And the Bible said he breathed in him the breath of life. And with the divine exhale comes the first human inhale. And instantly man becomes a living soul. His eyes flutter open. And he sees the brilliant hues of the garden. And his ears come alive. And I want you to notice what the Bible says. When God made man in his image, God immediately spoke to the man that he created. The first voice human ears ever heard was God's voice. And the first sentence that every any human ear ever heard was the voice of God as he looks at the man who had just taken his first breath and God says, let him have dominion. Dominion must be mighty important for that to be the first thing God would say to the man. God's first expression was not expression of love, it was an expression of dominion. Let him have dominion. Go step on it, brother. Go tread it off. Go put it under your feet. Go spread out. Go take territory. Yeah. 
Had Adam not fallen into sin, I am convinced that it was God's plan for him to push out the borders of Eden till eventually would have covered the whole earth. You read about the New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, all of the building materials in New Jerusalem are alluded to in the garden. Just think what man could have done if he had never messed up. But we know the story, Adam did mess up. Him and Eve had that little situation up in the middle of the garden, the tree of forbidden fruit, and the old devil standing there saying, why don't you just take one bite? They said, we can't take a bite because God said, if we take a bite, we'll die. And the devil said, you won't die. And Adam looks at the fruit, and Eve looks at the fruit, and they, they reach out, and they did what a lot of us have done. We've, we eat the forbidden fruit. We do what God said don't do. And when Adam did that, he took a bite. And with that first sin, a profound change happened to humanity. When Adam fell... From grace, he fell a long way. With that sin, death was ushered in to the human race. Because of that sin, thorns and thistles started coming up out of the ground. Because of Adam's disobedience, now his labor would be hard and arduous and he would have to eke out a living from the soil. What would have been easy in righteousness now was very hard in disobedience. And from the time of Adam until the time of Christ, mankind was stuck. They were grappling with the ramifications of sin and disobedience. But God had a plan. God had a plan. And God's plan was that he himself would step down into human existence. He, the Spirit, would take on flesh and he would learn firsthand what it felt like to be a man. And when Jesus was born, Paul refers to him as the second Adam. And as the second Adam... Jesus, in so many words, is saying, I'm going to step down into human existence and I'm going to subject myself to the full range of temptation and feelings that the first Adam had. And the second Adam came with a mission, and his mission was to restore what the first Adam lost. And when you go through the life of Jesus, you find that there is an amazing contrast between the first man, Adam, and the second Adam. The first Adam brought in death. The second Adam brought life. The first man, Adam, brought the curse. The second one broke the curse. The first man, Adam, gave in to self-will, standing in the middle of a garden, but the second man, Adam, went into the middle of the garden and he prayed until his sweat became as great drops of blood. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. The first man, Adam, allowed the devil to convince him to eat. 
But the second man, Adam, said, I'm not going to eat what you're telling me to eat. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The first man, Adam, fell in the sin, standing beside a tree. The second man, Adam, broke sin, hanging on the side of a tree. The first man, Adam, went to the ground and became dust. But the second man, Adam, went into the ground, and three days later, he comes out in the resurrection power. I'm here to preach to you that Jesus broke the curse. Jesus reversed the effects of the fall. And when we unite with Jesus, we share in his victory through Acts 2.38 salvation. Oh, I feel like preaching a little bit. my coat off so I can go another hour or so. So part of the restoration that Jesus brought was to restore what Adam lost. And one of the things that Adam lost was that dominion. He lost it. But when Jesus came, he came to restore the potential for dominion for his people. Now, I've asked them to help me with a couple of chairs. Uh, where's, where's my chairman? We want the chairman to come. Let's look at a scripture in Luke chapter 1. Bring me that big chair, little chair. We got three chairmen, but it's not a board-run church. Put that little chair right here on the edge of these steps here. Put that big chair on the edge of these steps right here. And what's your name, brother? Brother Austin. You look like a Christ-like man. I want you to represent Jesus. Ought to come natural. And I want you to sit in that chair, and you're going to be Jesus for me. Okay, let's read in Luke chapter 1. This is the Christmas story. Y'all do Christmas around here? Oh, good. <laughs> Some folks don't like Christmas. That's too bad. Now, I've heard the Christmas story 1,032 times growing up. You even hear that at the Wolf Chase Mall up in Memphis at Christmas time. But in the Christmas story, there is a little sentence that I've read, but I've never saw it. I gloss right over it. And I want to show it to you. Luke chapter 1 and verse 32, Gabriel comes and announces to Mary that Jesus is coming. He said, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God, watch this now, shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Okay, I never saw that deal about the throne of David before. 
didn't think anything about it, just, you know, read it and kind of get on to the main point. And that didn't seem like a main point. But when I look at the throne of David, I got hung up on that a few months ago, and I realized that Luke is trying to tell us something here. What is significant about David's throne? Well, when David was king, he brought Israel to victory over all of their enemies. It was the only time they had victory over all their enemies was under the leadership of David. He brought Israel to a time of growth and spreading out. The kingdom grew very large, and Israel enjoyed prosperity under David's leadership and David's throne. But when Jesus comes, the angel said that he shall be given the throne of David. So Jesus, the son of David, is going to do for the church what the first David did. If the first David subdued all of his enemies, think about what Jesus is going to do for you. If the first David spread the borders of the kingdom, guess what happens when Jesus has his way in Potts camp? If the first David brought prosperity to the land, guess what Jesus can do when he has his way? I'm preaching to you about a Christ who is sovereign. He is in control. And he sits on the throne. You can be seated. Now, Jesus is up there on the throne of David and he's ruling and reigning. And some of y'all thinking right now, Brother Adams, what in the world does that have to do with the price of rice and China? That's all fine at Christmas time and Jesus on the throne and all that stuff. But what's that have to do with us? Well, I'm going to tell you what it has to do with us. Let's go over to the book of Ephesians. And let's look at what the writer of Ephesians said. Put that scripture in Ephesians up, good brother. Here's what the writer said. Said, he hath raised us up together. And made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when I got the Holy Ghost, I was down here in sin. I was a slave to my own desires. But something about getting filled with the Holy Ghost set in motion something we call the redemption lift. And I was spiritually raised. You were spiritually raised. And I come up to a heavenly place. And I hope you got strong legs because I'm going to sit on your lap. And we were seated together with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Now let me just tell you something about sitting on the throne. The vantage point up here is very different than the vantage point down there. Because when I look horizontal, all I can see is problems. All I can see is walls and limitations. But when I'm sitting from his vantage point, there's eternal perspective. I can see the end from the beginning. 
Down here, all I see is pandemic. I see masks. I see vaccines. I see division. I see all kind of rot and mess. But when I'm on the throne with him, I'm not nervous. I'm not wringing my hands in distress because from this vantage point, everything is looking good. Everything's going to look all right. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, Jesus wins this thing. I've read the back of the book and Jesus wins this thing. He's got everything in control. He's not losing sleep at night. He's not dealing with anxiety. And the reason why we're so messed up sometimes is we don't have revelation of where we're sitting in the spirit. He's caused us to sit together with him. First John chapter four. There's another scripture I've read, but I never read. I wonder how many more scriptures I've read that I haven't read. When I got a hold of this one, Bishop Wilson. I about had a conniption fit. Because I put this scripture together with the one I just read about being seated. John said, herein is our love made perfect. We may have boldness in the day of judgment. Watch this. Watch this. Because as he is. How is he? He's on the throne. All things under his feet. He's in charge. He's in a position of power. But John said, as he is, so are we in, in where? Where? That's right here, right now. That's Potts Camp. That's North Mississippi. As he is, so are we in this world. That's not talking about the world to come. That means the church is in a posture of dominion and power in this world. Sit down. I'll preach on if you stand. Seated with him. We are as he is. In that position of power, we're kings. The kingly nature of the church. But the problem is. The problem is. What I just preached about doesn't feel a bit true. Hebrews 2 and verse 8. The writer captured a paradox here. Now let's read this. Do we have any school teachers in the house? Any school teachers? No school teachers. We got, we got a couple to think about being school teachers. God bless the teachers. Now, if I wrote this scripture on a school paper, I'd have got a big fat F. 
this is not good writing here. It's Bible, but I'm telling you, Paul, I believe Paul wrote it, and he was having to <laughs> say he's having to, the Holy Ghost was inspiring him, but this wouldn't make a good paper. Let's dissect this. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Stomp your feet a little bit. Come on, everybody, stomp your feet. Satan is under my feet. Years ago we sing some, I don't remember, I don't remember none of the lyrics except says, stomp, 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 stomp on the devil. That's a Bible song. Stomp, 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 stomp on the devil. All things under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. There's no evil spirit that's got the upper hand over Jesus. And all in subjection under him. Then look at the next clause. He left nothing that is not put under him. That's all encompassing dominion. Now if Paul had stopped there, I'd have given him an A plus. That's good writing and it's good preaching. Dominion, victory, conquest, stomping on the devil. Write that paper, Paul. But after writing the first two sentences, he does, he twists it up. He messes it up. It doesn't flow. The third sentence, he said, but now... We see not yet all things put under him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said that all things were in subjection. He left nothing out. Then with one sentence you undid, Paul, everything you just said. But now we see not yet all things put under him. You see, the reality is I preached about the throne of David and us sitting on Jesus' lap with him in a posture of dominion and we shouted. But the reality is this is this little decrepit blue chair is where we're at. We got more bills spread across the kitchen table than we got paycheck for the next two weeks. Fighting sickness. Some of us are so full of anxiety we can barely function. Wayward kids. Businesses are being shaken. Can't find employees to work. We do not feel dominion. We come to church and here to preach, preach about stomping on the devil but it's hard to do that because the devil been stomping on us. Yeah, I should be on that throne but I'm not. I'm sitting on this little throne. I'm not feeling powerful. I'm not feeling like I'm in the place of dominion. 
I feel like I'm trapped in in this existence and I don't know what to do. Can I just step out on a limb and make everybody uncomfortable? I I have heard of more apostolic people in the last two weeks wanting to commit suicide than I have in years. That's a real deal. No reason to live. Holy Ghost people that theologically they're sitting on that throne. But in reality they're sitting here in this little chair. They're not walking in dominion. They're struggling just to make it another day. Really, this ain't even right for some of you. Some of us, we're like not even on that chair. We're down on Oh, but Adam, it's so hard. Nobody wants to live for God. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying, but it's so hard. It's so hard to get rid of them cigarettes. It's so hard to quit looking at you know what on, on the internet. I just don't think I can do it. And I don't think anybody cares about me. I missed church for three weeks and then nobody called about me. When someone called, they just trying to be controlling. And when I go to church, all they talk about is money, 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 money. Always want my money. Don't they know we're in a pandemic? And one out of 69 people that get COVID dying and there's people dying everywhere and I'm going to church and not even wear a mask. Risking my life to go to church and most of them don't got the shot. Biden's messing this country up. Mark the Beast is coming in and election got stolen. Shutting the churches down. My job's shaking. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, they're baptizing people at church, but they don't make very many of them sticking. They just don't do it like they used to. It sure is hard. Social Security's going to be bankrupt in three years. feel a little pain in my side and I think it might be cancer because my daddy died of cancer when he's young and I'm just afraid it's happening to me too. Hey, am I talking to you or what? This is where some of us are living right now. We're supposed to be there. All things are supposed to be under our feet. But now we see not yet. I'm living in the already, but it's not yet. We're not in victory yet. We're not having revival like we should yet. We're not seeing prosperity like we're supposed to yet. We were made for dominion, but we're wallowing in defeat. 
but I've come to preach about dominion potential. I believe that is our potential. I believe there is incredible potential for growth in this apostolic assembly. But the million dollar question, Pastor V, is this. When I'm down here and I'm in a posture of defeat and a posture of just getting by, how can I get up there with him? What I got to do? Well, the word dominion, if you remember, it means to take a step. It means to tread down. So if I'm going to take dominion, what do I got to do right now? I got to get up. You know how you get up? You get up by speaking a word. When the Holy Ghost fell at Pentecost, when the breath of God breathed in just like he breathed in Adam, the first thing they did is the Bible said Peter stood up. You got to take a stand. And taking a stand looks like this. It's where something turns on in your spirit. Not something in the Holy Ghost. It's something in you. The Holy Ghost already got you up there. But something's got to happen in you. Something got to get inside of you that says, I will not spend another day living this rotten lifestyle. I will not spend another day in my addiction. I will not spend another day in my dysfunction. I will not spend another day in the molly grubs. I'm getting up. I am a daughter of the king. I'm a son of God. I was made for dominion. I was made to tread things down. I was made to spread out. I was made to conquer. And I refuse to let the devil lie to me another day and tell me I got to stay down. Get up. I'm coming to preach in the Holy Ghost. It's time for someone to take a stand. Take a stand. So when I stand, I orient myself towards the promises of God. That's where I say, you know, everything that Bible said I could have, I can have it. I don't got it right now, but bless your heart, I'm going to get it. Right now, there's this gap between what we're supposed to be and what we are, and that gap is our potential. But if I'm going to take dominion, which means to tread down, to crumble off, to spread out. First thing is I got to take a stand. But you know what the second thing I got to do? Is I got to take a step. 
You got to take a stand, taking a stance where you verbally declare, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have the promises of God. I am going to do it. If that's the last thing, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to backslide. I'm not going to commit suicide. I'm going to live an abundant life. I'm going to be an overcomer. There's no other option. I'm going to be an overcomer. No, I'm not going back to the old lifestyle. No, no, I'm taking a stand. I've come to preach about dominion. Be seated momentarily. I'm standing here and I'm getting a glimpse of what I can be, what we can be. But in order for me to go from here, I got to take a step. But here's a problem with just taking a stand. In standing, there is stability. My likelihood of falling is minimal right now when I'm standing still. But the minute I take a step, I'm stepping in the territory that is unknown. And with the step in the unknown territory, there is a small loss of stability. There is the incurrence of risk. And if I am a fearful person, it can be hard to start stepping towards my potential. But let me tell you how this works in the spirit. When God says to go in a direction, just take a step. I know I need to get baptized in Jesus' name, but I just don't know what my wife will say. You forget about what your wife will say and do it anyway. Brother Adams, I, I'd like to get in church and get the Holy Ghost, but I don't know what my husband say about me wearing this apostolic clothing. When's when you been worried about what your husband said about anything else? You got to say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get in and I'm going to take a step. I'm going to step out into the unknown and there's something about taking a step towards the promises of God that it sets something loose in the spirit realm and God starts moving and you might step out into territory that is unknown but trust me, God gets in the middle of it. Hallelujah, I want you to look around you right now. Look, those of you, sign, look, turn your head, crane your head, look all around this building. I don't know how many members are out tonight. I know how it is in church. You've got a bunch of members out. Hope they're all up in Memphis having church. Probably not. Don't ever miss your church on Sunday, go somewhere else. guys are filling this place up. We got an unfinished building over here. Somebody done felt that dominion impulse. That's another message is that dominion impulse that God gives you. But somewhere you got to get to a point and say it's time to spread out. And I haven't talked to him and I don't know where you're at and I don't know what the plans are. 
But I'm just going to tell you, Brother Voskis, it never gets safe. It never gets totally okay. And the books never balance. But somewhere you got to know it when the Holy Ghost gives you the nudge that it's time to start framing those walls up. It's time to start moving forward. There's a step out into the unknown. But let me just preach to you that God's church is in a posture of dominion. God wants you to be on this throne. He wants you to have this project under your feet and God's going to help you. You're not in this by yourself. God's in the middle of what's going on. And God can bless you with a little chair blessing or he can bless you with a big throne blessing according to your faith, be it unto you. I give my preachers at home a 25-minute limit on Sunday night, and I've been going every bit of 26, and I'm not done. We started building our church three or four years ago. We had a we had a three million dollar budget, which looked massive to me at that time. We raised some money and. Got a loan for the rest. And it was going to cost just over $3 million to build the building. But that did not include, that $3 million didn't include sound system, which is 180000 It didn't include chairs. But you know, the stuff you're sitting on is expensive. And it included a kitchen. It didn't include anything in the Sunday school rooms. It was just a building. We were just going to go in and sit on the floor. I didn't say too much about the church, but I didn't want to scare everybody, but I sure scared. And I said, we're going to step out. we got to build. We took a step. We broke ground. And, man, we started spending money. I'm going to tell you, on construction, you can't sneeze in a construction site without costing $10,000. And... Got in the midst of that thing. And all I had was a picture. We was, we was in a real bad neighborhood in Memphis, one of the worst, about the third worst neighborhood in Memphis. You had to have a GPS to find us. And we was a tiny building. We was overflowing with people. We had to have, we had to do something. And we had 21 acres we bought on the interstate in Bartlett, right down from Cracker Barrel. And we was going to build right on the interstate, build a big old church. And I saw that vision of dominion. I knew that our church had greatness in it. But boy, it was a long way from here to there. And I'm, I'm almost done preaching. Somebody come to music and everybody hope. And so we stepped out. And we started moving. And... get a call one day from a, from a wonderful saint of God who loves our church very much. They said, Pastor, we need you to pray with us. We have this little situation. 
We don't know if anything will come of it. We might get a little bit of money from it. And said, if it does, um, we'd like to do something special for our building project. Those are wonderful calls. Those wonderful calls, you like to get that as a pastor, but you never know. I've heard that kind of stuff before, and nothing ever pan out. Well, a long time went by, a long time went by, years and years went by, but it was uh, off the radar. Nothing happened. But I got a text message one day from this dear saint of God who loved the church. Texted me and said, Pastor, please pray. We just got an alert from our bank that a large sum of money hit our account. We don't know, but maybe that situation we've been praying about all those years, maybe it happened. And, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly where I was, but I did a little praying. Can't help them pray, you know. Well, that weekend... get a call and the voice on the phone said, um, Pastor, I know it's Sunday, but uh, could I have a meeting with you in your office before church? Now, don't ever ask to meet with your pastor before church. He's getting ready to preach. It's not a time to have meetings. And normally my policy is I don't do meetings before church because I don't want to get up in the pulpit and have stuff I've been meeting about on my mind preaching. But there's an exception to every rule. And I just, that was an exception. This person comes to my office and uh, he said, you know, we're so grateful for what God's done. We've got this blessing. It's a miracle. So, you know, we just, we've just felt like for years, if, if God ever let this happen, we won't do something for the church. And this person slips me a folded check. You know, I typically don't touch the money in our church. So it's fairly unusual for someone to hand me a check in church. And all of my learning how to be a preacher, no one ever taught me what the etiquette is when you get a folded check as a pastor. So this person slips me this folded check and... I distinctly remember thinking, what do I do? If I take it and do this, it looks too eager. Might come across tacky or greedy. If I don't look at it, it might come across like I don't care and don't appreciate what they're doing. If I stick it in my pocket, they're not giving it to me. They're giving it to the church. So if I stick it in my pocket, that might send the wrong signal. So I'm holding this check, and I'm in a dilemma. What do I do? Well, I said to the person, I appreciate that. Just love people. And then so just without trying to look too curious, I just kind of casually opened the check up. And my first thought was, man, they give us $1,000, but no, no, they don't. They look right. Misread that. It's ten thousand. You know, there ain't no money in Potts Camp, but that's you know, that's that's good Wednesday night offering in Memphis. 
And uh, and uh, the look, I thought, no, that's not 10,000, that's 100,000. And my mind was trying to process this thing. But then I read the words, and it said $1 million. A check for $1 million. $1 million. A little old church that nobody could find and nobody knew about. We stepped out in the unknown. We didn't have money to finish. But in the process of taking dominion, taking the step, God got in the mix. I ran into my wife's office. I said, baby, ask me how I feel. She looks at me. She said, how do you feel? I said, I feel like a millionaire. <laughs> and it made the difference. It made the difference. We built that building. Stress-free. But we got all the way to the time to move in. We put that million dollars and we didn't have to take on so much debt. We got all the way to like two weeks before moving in. We was going to have our first service the first Sunday of January 2019. And this was Christmas week. And we decided to put that million dollars in and reduce our debt and take care of things they need to take care of. And we still had a small problem. We didn't have money for chairs. We still, I mean, <laughs> you know, we stand or sit on the floor. We didn't have money for furniture. Have you ever priced church furniture? It's stupid how much money they get that stuff. I mean, ridiculous. And a person comes into the church and said, Do you know I got a relative that heard about this church that we was building and this relative didn't go to our church. Said this relative sent you a Christmas card, Pastor, and here, here's a card, and they said, tell you, Merry Christmas. They said they didn't want you to be under no stress getting in this church. Tell me, tell you why I believe in Christmas, bro. So I opened the Christmas card. Now, I don't remember what the card said. Not even sure I read the card. <laughs> you know them good cards is the one you open up and something falls out. Oh, sweet Jesus. There was a check in that card for someone, to my knowledge, that never laid eyes on that building project, to my knowledge. And... That check was a check for $100,000. So not only did we get to build the building, but we was able to furnish the building. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to tell you what's about to happen as we move forward. 
God's going to start blessing people in this church to be able to do these kind of miracles. The miracle's going to be on your bank account. It's going to be on your business. The miracle's going to flow through your pen. But somewhere you got to take a stand and say, we're going to do this. And you got to step out into the unknown and say, by the help and grace of God, we're spreading out. We're moving forward. I want us to have a prayer meeting right now. I'd like to invite everybody up to this front as quickly as you can. And I want us to pray right now that the spirit of dominion would get on this congregation, that there be a spirit of boldness, a spirit of taking steps, that there be a holy anointed risk taking come upon this congregation. In the name of Jesus, I pray God for dominion in this congregation. I pray that your kingdom would be established. I pray over this church right now. I pray that a mighty boldness and a mighty authority in the spirit would burst out. I take authority over the spirit of fear. I take authority over every bit of trepidation. I take authority over every opposing spirit, demonic and human, that withstands the work of the spirit. And I'm praying right now for blessing to come. I pray for spiritual blessings. I pray that many, many people would get the Holy Ghost. I pray that in this tent revival coming up, it would be the biggest revival in the history of this church. I pray for deliverance testimonies to start sounding every service. I pray for every business in this place. I pray for anointed businesses, blessed businesses, bless your people to be able to be a blessing. I pray for raises and promotions and bonuses in the name of Jesus. I pray that the power of the Holy Ghost be on the music department. I pray it be on the ushers. I pray the anointing of God on the Sunday school teachers. I pray for the worshipers. I pray for the pastor. I pray for the bishop. Let dominion be infused into this place in the name of Jesus. Pastor Voskis, I want you to come finish this prayer. Pray over this church. Pray for dominion. Amen. Lift your hands all over this house. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you give us dominion over every addiction that has people bound in our community. I pray, God, that you give us dominion, Lord God, over alcoholism. I pray you give us dominion over false religion and false doctrine. God, I pray for dominion over the spirits that bind this area and bind people in this community. I pray, God, that you let your people walk in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. God, let the anointing of your spirit flow. When they speak, let it happen. When they talk, let it become reality. In the name of Jesus, bless their marriages, bless their homes, bless their finances, bless their mind, body, and spirit. Let them walk in the authority of your spirit. God, let them speak right now. Let them speak right now under the anointing of the Holy Ghost in the power of your word. Let them speak the things which are not as though they are. Let them speak their own deliverance. Come on, y'all, open your mouth right now. Let, let them speak their own deliverance. Let them speak over their family what they want to see God do. 
Let them speak over their, their spouse and their children what they want God to do. Let them speak over their financial situation what they want to see God do. Let them speak over their businesses. Let them speak over their, their mind. God, let them speak healing over their body. In the name, come on, open your mouth and say it. You've got dominion. You've got to put it under your feet. I speak dominion over cancer. I speak dominion over depression. I speak dominion over anxiety. I speak dominion over fear. I speak dominion over diabetes. I speak dominion over marriage trouble. I speak dominion over rebellious children. I speak dominion over broken finances. I speak dominion over this community in Jesus' name. But it's not enough for me to speak it. You got to speak it. I claim my children in Jesus' name. I claim my revival in Jesus' name. Come on, open your mouth. It's not enough for me to say it. You got to say it. I claim my marriage going to a better place. I claim my children coming to this altar. I claim deliverance over for our youth group. I pray that God expand the borders of this youth group into every public school within a driving distance of this place. In the name of Jesus. I pray dominion when our people walk into their factories that God guide them to people that are hungry for the Holy Ghost. I pray dominion right now for this tent revival to shake our community and shake our city and shake this county. I pray it shakes people out of their addictions. Shake them out of their dead religion. Shake them out of their apathy. Shake them out of their fear. I pray for a shaking. you'd open your mouth and begin to speak things which are not as though they are. I've got joy. I've got peace. I've got victory. I've got hope. I've got happiness. I've got love in my spirit. Hallelujah. Reach over and pray for somebody close to you right now. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for a Holy Ghost outpouring in this place right now. Amen. I want you to pray that the Spirit of the Lord begin to move in here. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost talking in tongues, I want you to say the words, God, I want everything you have for me. That's all I want you to say is, God, I want everything you have for me. I want everything you have for my life. If you've been dealing with discouragement, I want you to say, God, I want peace and I want joy. In the name of Jesus. Y'all, you feel what I feel building up in here right now? You feel victory in the house right now. I feel like the lid's about to pop off of this thing right now. In Jesus' name. Are y'all ready to shout a little bit? Are you ready to rejoice a little bit?
call time out, but you go right back there in just a second. Here's what, here's what I want somebody. I, I don't know who I'm feeling this for right now, but I feel like there's a handful of folks, maybe more than a handful of folks, that you are living under such condemnation. You've repented. You've asked God to forgive you. You've told God you want to be different. And every time that you start to think about anything, all you can think about is how no good you are, how bad you messed up, how many times. I want you right now to understand that when God washes you in his blood, he takes it away. And when he takes it away, he takes it all the way away. Amen. Amen. And so what I want somebody to do is quit letting the devil intimidate you out of your worship by telling you how unworthy you are. And I want you to throw your hands to heaven, open your mouth, pick up your feet, and I want you to give God a praise that crushes condemnation under your feet. Take dominion over your condemnation in Jesus' name. Come on, this is revival time right now.
I got the victory, I got the victory.